Welcome to The Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast where we discuss all things compounding and all things concerning independent pharmacy. Now, here are your hosts, Mike Delisio, North American Sales Director, and Sebastian Dennison, Clinical Compounding Pharmacist. Welcome, Compounding World. This is Mike Delisio, and welcome to the newest episode of The Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast. And as we've done in prior episodes, we've had a chance to talk to experts in the field of either HRT, pain management, dermatology, and pediatric compounding. And today we're going to have a chance to sit down and have a discussion with another one of our clinical service team members who will discuss implementing a veterinary compounding uh, portion to their practice and what that means to an integrative approach to pharmacy. And, and you know, I'm, I'm so happy that we've had a chance to sit down with Ms. Deb Clark. So welcome to the podcast, Deb. It's great to have you here. Well, thank you, Mike. I'm happy to be here. I'm excited about sharing all of this with uh, everyone. Uh, Deb has worked um, as part of a compounding pharmacy since 1995 and has joined our team some 10 years ago. Um, so has tremendous experience specifically with individuals that look at veterinary preparations and veterinary dosage forms and um, and has obviously spoke for PCCA as well and has had a chance to discuss marketing to veterinary clinics and a veterinary practice in a, in a completely different way as well. Um, Seb, obviously you're joined as well, so welcome as well. And we're going to have a chance to, to ask Deb a lot of questions. She's a member of your team, uh, being part of the clinical services team here at PCCA. And um, I guess, get, uh, Deb, the first question would be, you know, veterinary compounding is so broad. And um, a lot of people sometimes feel that it's a completely different world. How do you feel that it emulates or is very similar to the traditional side of compounding when dealing with patients? So the difference or the similarity is in this, that um, in human medicine as well as in veterinary medicine, you're going to have those patients that the traditional manufactured products are not going to take care of. Um, in humans, we see this more in like pediatric medicine because you have children of all sizes and some of the medicines that they use to treat different disease states do not have pediatric dosage forms. And so they have to be compounded. In veterinary medicine, you have hundreds, if not thousands of species. Each one can be a different size from like a very small little budgie, which is a tiny, tiny bird, all the way up to a elephant that weighs thousands and thousands of pounds. And so you have, you don't have dosage forms for those two opposite extremes and everything in the middle. Most everything that's produced commercially is either for a dog or a cat. And so, and sometimes horses, there's not a whole lot out there for horses, but then you also have to take care of exotic animals, like all the animals that you see in the zoo, and there are no commercially manufactured products for them. So it's a great opportunity for the community pharmacists to go out into their community to meet those needs because just about everyone, they may not have a zoological park in their area, but they may have like, for example, where I live, we have something called the Lucky Five. And it's a really small little ranch, if you will. And they have um, kangaroos, they have giraffes, they have all different species for groups of school children to come in and actually see these animals in person. But somebody has to take care of those animals. And so it's good to go out there and meet those people and meet the veterinarians that take care of those animals because they are looking for somebody to provide them those dosage forms. So it seems like there's a huge potential for opportunity and mm -hmm. into any sort of standard independent community practice. I know that there's a, a prevailing position that it's like, ah, that space is already crowded. 
how would you start? How would you literally get started with getting this into your practice? And then how can it become such a big part of your practice? Well, this is how I started. I got in my car and I went and introduced myself to them because veterinary marking is all about building a relationship. Um, veterinarians are very different from traditional human physicians in that they have a little bit more leeway as to how they practice their 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 the veterinary medicine. And so a lot of times um, they they have their commercially available medicines, which they dispense out of their practice, and we don't want to interfere with that. But they also, I guarantee you, every single veterinarian office that you go into, they're going to have a patient where they're having a challenge to get the medication or they're having a challenge finding a medication. And that's the space that we're wanting to fill. We're not wanting to try to take the place of the, the pharmaceutical manufacturers or um, some of the, the mass marketers, but we want to fill that space. We want to take care of that patient. And what our goal is, is to go out there and market our skills as problem solvers, because we're going to come hand in hand with that veterinarian and we're going to supplement their practice. And we're basically an extra tool, if you will, in their therapeutic toolbox. We're going to fill that space that they have tremendous need for, whether it be for a dog that has epilepsy or a cat that has behavior issues or um, a bird that we just need to get some type of um, antibiotic into. We're going to, we're going to do that. And so I usually, when I'm marketed, I would go out, introduce myself, maybe take something small to remind them about my pharmacy. And we have this really cool capsule. I think it's a number seven and it's probably about three to four inches um, long. And I had shown this in one of the presentations that I did for marketing. You can take your business card and put that inside of that capsule. Um, and that is a major eye catcher because it's huge. It is the proverbial horse pill, if you will. And you can also put something in there that makes noise like Skittles or candy or something. And you can, that is a good leave behind. People will remember you um, for things like that. You want to do things that separate your, yourself. And I always like to talk to the technicians. A lot of people don't, they, they want to go straight to the provider, to the veterinarian. But a lot of times the vet, the vet technicians, they actually are the ones that drive a lot of the prescribing habits. And so building a relationship with them because they're a little bit more accessible is always good. Uh, Deb, I think that was tons of great information. You not only talked about veterinary practice, but you had a chance to also discuss your personal experience as a marketing representative and somebody who was out in the field. And obviously we can't discount that in terms of how important it is um, to build those relationships and to be very visible in the community. Um, how do you feel that you would position yourself even in the store and um, within the practice when dealing with specific patients and, and getting the word across that there are tons of, of available opportunities for not only uh, them, but also for their little furry friends? Okay, so... From the standpoint of customers coming into your store, what we did was I had this huge bulletin board outside of my compounding lab. We had a glass, uh, open glass area in our compounding lab where people could see in and they could see what we were doing and we could also see out into the store. We had a bulletin board of all of our different patients, if you will, that had, you know, that were either feathery or furry, barked me out or neighed. We had a picture of them sometimes with their owners if they wanted to, but these were patients that we had taken care of 
Um, we also had like people, I got a lot of cards, a lot of thank you cards. I was so surprised when I would get them, but they were a nice reminder that, you know, I was doing what needed to be done for those patients, but thank you cards we would put around the perimeter of that. But we also had like question cards near the, um, the cash register or at the drop-off window for prescriptions that said that, you know, we basically take care of the entire family, but, you know, whether they be two-legged or four-legged ask us how we can help your pet. Um, and then I would have the techs who were usually the ones that ran the windows and things. If they, somebody wanted to ask a question, they would get me um, to come talk to that owner or that patient. Um, and that kind of helped me market to them. And they in turn would go to their, their veterinarian and say, Hey, you know, giant genie, which was the pharmacy that I worked in at that point in time, um, they would, you know, they do veterinary compounding. Can we maybe see if we can do my dog's seizure medicine this way so I can get them to take it better and um, be more compliant? Now, compliant wasn't a word that they used, of course, but that was one of the things that we stressed to the veterinarians is that we were able to help with compliance by making dosage forms that tasted better and that were better accepted by the animals. So we would also put cards out there about, are you having trouble giving Fido his heartworm medication? Come see our pharmacist. Man, it almost sounds like you're like compliance experts at that point. That could actually be a marketing term for your pets, mm -hmm. right? So oh, yeah, compliance absolutely. experts for, for animals. So what happens, though, you walk into a pharmacy, you, you start with this, and then you're asked a tough question. Um, I'm thinking along the lines of being a new practitioner. I'm going out there and marketing. What happens if I'm asked a question about an animal that I'm not sure of? What resources did you tap into? Because obviously you're an expert at this point, um, and we don't we don't have your level of experience. What sort of resources would you look at immediately for someone who's interested in the vet space? Um, resources, probably, um, I would say Plum's Veterinary Drug Handbook is probably the best thing to have. I feel like anybody that feels any type of medication for pets needs to have this as a reference. And it's been discussed by several boards of pharmacy of adding it to the required reference books that are in a pharmacy. That's, there's actually um, the state that I live in, the veterinary school here actually um, partnered with the pharmacy school and they sent out a survey of the state to see what the, the knowledge level was of pharmacists and that in our state when it comes to veterinary medicine. It was very eye-opening, um, and now the board in our state is seriously considering adding it um, as a regulation that you have to have a Plum's Veterinary Drug, either hard copy of the book or online reference, because it's also available as online reference. And, and just a little addendum here, as a PCCA member, you do get a discount on the subscription for the online product. So Plum's, what, what other education would you start to look at to become more consistent, understanding the vet world? You said okay. hundreds, if not thousands of species. How do you learn? Where do you, where do you go? Okay, so if you're a PCCA member, um, you have access to our education C4 course, which is post um, after your, your um, C3 course. And it goes, it delves into several topics. One of them is veterinary. Um, myself, as well as Chris Simmons, co-authored this together, and we go through the more common species that you see. Um, we go through their basic anatomy and physiology. We go through common disease states, dosage forms that are appropriate for them, toxicity, so things that you want to avoid 
with them um, and just marketing suggestions for that particular species. So we cover dog, cat, horse, ferret. Um, we also do birds. Um, we also do uh, pocket pets, uh, mice, gerbils, um, guinea pigs. We have several different things. And so that gives you a good base knowledge. And then also, if you're a PCCA member that has clinical services access, then you always have access to myself for questions. Um, Sebastian also, he's being very modest. He also has a good bit of vet knowledge. Um, he would be there too. But um, we have several people in our department that are very good with veterinary questions. Uh, more specific to you, Deb, um, I know you obviously mentioned that you love taking a lot of the veterinary questions and have tons of experience in this field. Mm -hmm. What are some of the the top questions that you do get and some of the areas that you feel that you make a difference in some of these pharmacies' journey? Um, well, some of the, probably the most common question we get is putting something into a liquid and is it stable? Is it going to be you know, accepted by the animal? What flavor do they like? Um, we get a lot of different questions about fixed oil. Is it appropriate for a particular species? Um, and there are certain species where it's not. Chinchillas come to mind right off the top because they, um, <laughs> it's, it's toxic. Chinchilla I know incident. chinchilla, not a real super common pet, but oils are toxic for them. So it's very important to know that. Um, just probably Mike, to answer your question, um, it's more compliance questions like what dosage form is going to work to get this drug into this animal? Cause we're dealing, you're, you're dealing with a lot of the same disease states that you see in people. Um, epilepsy is really common in several breeds of dogs. Um, you have hypertension, congestive heart failure, just like you do in people. So you have all of this stuff that they're dealing with. Um, oh, the dermatology space. Like I'm thinking about all the hot spots oh, yes. and the food allergies. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, allergies are a big thing, and, and atopic dermatitis is probably the number one reason why a dog will go to a veterinarian. Um, and cats, it's like the number two and number three. But, yeah, I mean, like like you were saying, Sebastian, a lot of the foods that are fed drive a lot of these allergies, and so they'll get ear infections, um, which come from those allergies. So we're actually helping the, the vet treat maybe a resistant ear infection with, with an ear gel that's going to, make compliance so much better and your therapeutic outs come so much better because we can customize it based upon the culture that the vet is getting so that we have the appropriate antibiotics, the appropriate delivery system. We can address biofilms, which set up a lot of the resistant ear infections. So it's like you're, you're taking like the best weapon that you possibly can get to get rid of that ear infection. And it's going to deliver it into the, the horizontal canal of the, of the dog's ear because a lot of people don't realize a dog's ear goes down and then across and eardrops get into the down portion, but not into the across portion or the horizontal. And that's where those resistant ear infections set up and ear gels, polyxomer base actually get into that space and actually kill the infection and resolve the issue. We can do, you know, mast cell stabilizers, which offer therapeutic options aside from the commercially available products for people who may not, be possibly able to afford the therapy because it is very expensive, but this gives them another option. Topical therapies, like Sebastian was saying, for acrylic granulomas, dogs, they're not self-aware. So whenever they have a um, an acrylic granuloma, which is usually a sore that they've just licked on their legs from either having a hot spot or something along those lines, and basically they lick off all or chew off all the fur, and then you have a wound there. 
Um, you can do things for that. You can do polyox bandages, which will put a coating over the area. And then you can put things in that bandage, which are going to heal the, the wound, as well as you can put agents in there that will make it bitter so that the dog does not want to lick it. Plus the bandage has staying power. It'll get very gooey and sticky and nasty mess and they don't want to touch it because of what happens when they do lick it. So we can do all kinds of things like that, um, that will help the veterinarian. Um, sometimes the commercial products, they need an extra topical therapy to go along with them. And we can provide those therapies for those veterinary dermatologists. And speaking of them, probably one of the best places to go for marketing is a veterinary specialty hospital. A lot of times you will find them um, connected with an emergency clinic and they have in their dermatologist, endocrinologist, neurologist, every, just about every single discipline that you see in human medicine is also a discipline in veterinary medicine. They all like to conglomerate in one hospital. And when you get in with them, you hit the jackpot when it comes to marketing, because that's probably where most of my business came as I, I had gone, this clinic was 10 miles from my pharmacy. And I went down there to market to them. Now, the first couple of times, I don't think I really impressed them, but I was persistent and I kept going and going and putting myself in front of them and talking to everybody that will possibly talk to me. And finally, uh, one of the veterinarians calls me and he says, okay, you've got a patient. I've got a patient here. You want a challenge? I give you a challenge. And we worked on that patient. It was, it was an atopic dermatitis patient. It took us a few weeks to get them going in the right direction, but we did. And I, after that, I think I got a call from him every single day. And he didn't want to talk to anybody else in the pharmacy but me, not to toot my own horn, but he, <laughs> he, he did not want to talk to the other pharmacist. He wanted to talk to Deborah. Right to the so, expert. So, but, um, but yeah, I mean, just stuff like that. And, and service is so, so key to them. Because, you know, if you make yourself available to them, most of them will not abuse it. I mean, but they, they will, they will call you because they like to be able to pick up the phone and consult with a professional to know, you know, Hey, I got somebody to bounce something off of it that can think with me and help me solve this problem so that we can take care of this animal. And that's what's so key to, a, a you know, a, a successful veterinary business. And you don't have to do tons. You can, you can have one veterinarian that you take care of. I, I advise to try to, you know, to see as many as possible. But generally, when you get into those multidisciplinary veterinary hospitals, they have other vets that refer to them and they talk amongst themselves. So once you get in with that big hospital, you're going to have a lot of the other veterinarians in your community start to all of a sudden start calling you for things. You know, Deb, there's two things that have resonated with me. One, uh, when we began the podcast uh, you started talking about building relationships and how important that is. Um, and then two, um, just now talking about your presence in the community. Um, I mentioned as well that there are certain individuals that might build a practice and might start off compounding and, and focus simply on human compounding, and, and that's quite all right. Uh, for those that do want to expand into veterinary, sometimes there's a hesitation that uh, the market could be potentially saturated or that it might be very difficult to get through the door and to market their services. Um, how important is both relationship and having that community presence? And is it truly a barrier that can be overcome and probably quite easy to attain? It is really easy. You just have to go do it. It's right. as simple. Do you mean I have to leave that. the pharmacy? 
You mean I got to go do yes. something? <laughs> there is a door. It goes both ways in the pharmacy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, but yeah, you do. And Mike, you were talking about community involvement. I, and I did not do this, but I've heard other members do this that I work with. And I think it's a fabulous idea. Um, one of our members in Wisconsin, I'm not going to name who it is, but he actually works with a shelter in his area. And he has a pretty significant vet practice. And what they do is they take care, as you probably know, shelters are nonprofit organizations, so they don't have a whole lot of money to kind of toss out there. But they have animals that have needs that traditional medicines are not going to take care of. He actually works with the vet there and they provide those meds or those compounds free of charge to that shelter. And that shelter, you know, they advertise that to the veterinarians that, hey, these guys work with us. They don't charge us. And that speaks volumes to the veterinary community that, you know, hey, you're not in there just solely to make money. You're there. You know, you actually care about others besides, you know, besides yourself. And I think that's, you know, that's something that's important. Now, I'm not saying everybody has to do this. You have to look at your own business and see what you can do. But volunteering and things like that, that makes a huge difference because it, it, it shows a lot about your character and about your business. And it really builds the relationship as well because they, mm-hmm. they know you're invested, <clears throat> not only in the community, but also in the practice. Hey, we're going right. to look after these animals and yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll come up with something. And honestly, it's also a little bit of clinical practice for the pharmacy because right. here you go. Here's the problem. And now all of a sudden it goes back to, and effectively it's like a marketing budget that you're, you're playing with is, okay, can we make this work? Can we get some success? Okay, well, we can build upon that success. We learned what worked. And so it's almost yeah. a, it's like a little bit of a practice run without necessarily having someone coming in and banging on the door and saying, I spent 50 bucks on this. Why didn't it work? Like there's, there's, there's a win-win on both sides. On yeah, that- and something else that they can do too is if you have an animal you have a veterinarian in your life. When I go, I have a white Westie, Cody, we go occasionally. <laughs> I knew you were going to mention at least, your dog. At least once a year. <laughs> we've been, we've been recently more so than once a year. But, um, but when I go see that practitioner, they know that I'm a compounder. We've had that discussion. And so, you know, they take care of your animal. That is a golden opportunity for you to share what you do in your pharmacy. So, I mean, that, that's, that's, an, that's the easy card, if you will, for people who are wanting to get into the business or into the veterinary space because um, you already have that relationship with that practitioner because they take care of your animal. So they're going to be open to listening to you. Well, it's also the flip side is when they come up with the solution and you go, oh, I'll just take it back to the pharmacy. Like you're, you start establishing that piece mm-hmm. of you can write the prescription. It doesn't have to be sent away and I can take care of it. You're, you're almost setting them up for understanding that you can solve that, that issue for those, for those patient populations. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. Um, and you can, at that time too, you know, instead of going cold calling as we used to call it, um, you can ask them while you're in there with your animal, Hey, are you having any, do you have a patient where you're really having a challenge? Let me help you with it. You know, that opens that door right away. So don't forget those. Those are the easy, the low hanging fruit. I think I've heard somebody say that before in a sales meeting. <laughs> yes, Mike. Salespeople always go to the low hanging fruit. Um, it's obviously the path of least resistance. And on that note, I'm going to go into something more specific. Um, talking about 
veterinary medicine and some things that have worked with, I would, I would call it most dom domesticated animals. So cats and dogs, the pets of the family. What are some of the most common formulations that you've seen truly work? They're, they're tried, they're tested, and um, obviously the, you see an amazing response. Where would someone start if they don't do any veterinary compounding whatsoever? Some of the key formulations or dosage forms that you would recommend that they focus on. Okay. So we talked about epilepsy a few minutes ago. Potassium bromide is probably one of the most commonly prescribed veterinary medicines. Um, there is a, there's the product, but it's not an FDA approved product, but we usually do liquids, it treats, things like that, other dosage forms. And that's probably the most common one because vets do see a good bit of, um, of epileptic dogs, unfortunately. Um, and so that would be a real easy one. It, you can do different strength capsules. You can do liquids. Um, you can do uh, treats, like I was saying. Um, things to treat atopic dermatitis. Um, probably one of the most common things we use is Tranolast, and you can do oral formulations of that, whether it be capsules or um, oil suspensions. You can do topical versions. Um, they, you know, different bases. Like we use particularly Zocil is, is one of our is our veterinary. Um, proprietary base that no one else in the industry has that base but us. Um, you can put things like tranolast, diphenhydramine, steroids, antibiotics, anything that's going to address the need that the vet has um, in treating atopic dermatitis. And that one works really well because the Zocil, it helps actually damp down inflammation um, in this smart diffusion technology that's in the base. So you get um, therapeutic benefit from that base. It calms down that inflammatory response. And then you add your tranolast in there and that calms it even more by stabilizing the mast cells. It doesn't map fur either. So a, a lot of vets don't like to use topicals because of that fact, because it just makes the fur nasty and gooky. And this does not do it. It rubs in very nicely. And it actually puts a nice sheen on the fur. So if you have people that have show animals, it's a great option. Um, the polyox bandage is probably one of my favorite dosage forms. And you were asking for formulas specifically, I think more vehicles than anything, Mike, because it's so customizable. Um, and in that particular polyox bandage, you can put antibiotics, um, you can put bittering agents like diphenhydramine or sucrose octoacetate to keep them from licking. Um, you can put tranolast in there, um, things like that any fungals, anything that needs to address what's going on in that particular wound. Plus it's going to put a barrier over that area to help prevent them from licking. Um, the Paloxomer Odic gels are probably one of the best ones that I have seen. And that's been kind of an ongoing thing for a while. Um, those I've seen vets who have had dogs that have had ear infections for months upon months, even over a year. We had one patient, um, they did a culture. We customized it to what the culture said. Um, we ended up treating four times, which is probably the most I've ever used an odor gel in a patient, but it actually eradicated the infection and the owners and the vet were just super impressed. So, but usually with that one, you're, it's a one and done, not in every single case, but in a lot of cases. And I love, that's one of my favorite dosage forms. Um, we do all kinds of cardiac meds. Um, you can do them in fixed oil suspensions. Some of them you can do transdermally. Cats are really hard to dose orally because of their incisors and their claws. 
Um, you think of a whirling dervish when you see a cat come along, when you try to give them a medication. In a lot of cases, it can be very traumatic for the owner. Um, we can do things in lipoderm, like even amlodipine, which is a cardiac med. We can put that in there in, in the lipoderm base and rub it in their ear and they get delivery of their their maintenance cardiac medication without stressing the animal or the owner. So just things like that. There's so many different things. So that, um, that leads me in, like you're talking about all these different uh, dosage forms. What, mm-hmm. and I, I've got to ask, what are your, what are your favorite patients to treat in the vet space? And then what's one of your more memorable stories? Because people like it, it, it makes more sense when it's tangible. So which are your favorite patient populations? Like which is your favorite animal? And then which well, are your most memorable? Um, probably my favorite, well, my favorite animal is a dog. Obviously I have one. My second favorite animal is a horse. So generally most of my, and for you cat people out there, I love cats too, but I'm allergic. I can't have them. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of a default there. Um, probably my favorite dosage form, and this is kind of more newer than, you know, new than ongoing in practice is the paw paste. The pile paste is kind of a forgotten dosage form, um, and it actually works beautifully for cats. Um, and basically, you're using um, two different pegs to make a paste, and you can put and you can flavor, of course, sweeten and suppress bitterness. But you can put almost any active into it. People who cannot get near cat's mouth. Cats are very fastidious groomers. They hate having anything on their paws. And so we apply the paste to their paws and they're going to lick regardless to get it off because they're obsessive. They are very OCD about things on their paws. So this is one way um, to get something into them. Um, My favorite oral probably is going to be, well, a fixed oil suspension is probably the most common vehicle used, but I like transdermals when they're appropriate because it causes the least amount of stress for the owner as well as the pet. Now, my this was um, probably my favorite case that I had actually dealt with a mule. We had a mule that um, he had actually run up against the fence and he basically split open his side. It was probably about, I want to say it was about a foot and a half gash in it. As you've probably seen with larger animals, they kind of, they, um, they envelope open to where they spread open and they had tried everything bandage wise to get, um, to get that wound covered. So, and you can imagine horses and donkeys, they live in a very dirty environment, all the dirt and the fungus and all that stuff that goes on in their environment in a barn. There's just all kinds of nasty little organisms that live in there. Um, but what we ended up doing was we took an antibiotic, actually mupirocin is what we use, and we put it in a polyox bandage, sprayed that whole area with polyox. It took about a month and a half, but it completely closed. And then after, when we got to the point where it was um, closed, then we switched to Practicil Plus to help try to make it, you know, not scar. Um, in horses, it's been my experience when you use, or, or don't, mules are different, they're not considered a horse, but um, when you use the Pracocil Plus, it actually slows down the formation of proud flesh. Now, that's not a claim, that's just something that I've observed on my own. 
Um, so that was probably my favorite case because they had tried everything to get that wound closed and it just did not close. Um, and then that was probably one of my most memorable because it was so dramatic at the recovery. Um, another favorite one that I actually had in a presentation, this was not my personal experience, but it was an experience of another colleague, um, in Australia, they had huge brush fires, um, in one, one part of the, um, the country. And there was a veterinary school there nearby. And it was so, the, the fires were so bad that, um, the trees, the eucalyptus trees, whenever they got caught on fire, they would explode. And so a lot of the animals had burn marks all over them and they were trying to get the horses out of that area quick, you know, quickly, but as you probably know, fire just goes so quickly as we probably evidenced in California, but, um, so the vet school wanted help to take care of these wounds. And so we did, um, a combination of tranolast and pentoxifilin in, um, a blend of, um, of Ploxmer and I believe it was Pracosil Plus, but we used that combination or it may have been Pracosil Plus and MCT oil, but we used it to treat the burns and over time. And I have pictures if anybody wants to see, you saw, horses that had severe burns on their face, on their chest, on their legs, everywhere, um, go from having those severe burns to them completely re resolve. And then their hair started growing back. And like um, probably close to a year later, you couldn't really tell where they had the burns. Wow. So really, really dramatic outcome. So we can make a big difference, huge, mm -hmm. huge difference. Very specific too. Yeah. I, like it, it's it's insane because I, I I personally love that side of the practice. I love all types of animals. Um, I'm allergic to cats, but somehow or another we have two at the house. Um, I I I could just start asking you story after story. And what do we do with this one? I think I've sent you notes where I'm like, what did you do for that patient? And I, Deb, mm -hmm. like you're you're one of the obviously you're you're one of the experts in our in our team. I know you and Chris and AJ um, and others like we we do love this side so. We kind of welcome these calls, but we also love being involved so that we can see the outcome. So it's thank you for, for, for sharing that information. Um, curious, welcome. like in 1995, when you first walked in, what was your experience? Like, did you just say, I like animals, I want to go treat them? Like, how did, how did that twig for you and how did you learn particularly? Okay, so little piece of information most people do not know about me. Um, before I went to pharmacy school, I wanted to be a veterinarian. And for some reason, that door just did not open for me. And so um, when I came to PCCA and got trained, I saw the option in, in at that point in time, it was called primary training. But at that point in time, I saw the option to actually help animals. And so um, the, the older gentleman that I worked for um, in the particular store where I um, first was reintroduced into compounding since pharmacy school. <laughs> but prior to that, I was a retail pharmacist, worked uh, chain, and then I also worked, the, his, Mr. Hemingway's who I worked for, it was, um, it was a um, small independent, and I actually had come into that and, because I was so burned out from working in the chains, okay? But when I came to PCCA and saw that potential, I came back and I said to Mr. Hemingway, I said, how about I go down the street to the veterinary office and see if they need anything? And so it just kind of took off from there. 
Um, and I just, I like that because I like the interaction with the vets and the, the, the animal owners. And sometimes, you know, people um, would bring, as I told you earlier, they bring you pictures of their animals. So it's just kind of cool because that part of the family, sometimes I feel like gets neglected. But then there's people who will come in and spend lots of money on their animals um, because they, they view them just as important as their children. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, like I said, PC, PCCA kind of helped me refine that passion again after I had been in the human world for so long when it comes to pharmacy. So it was, it was kind of cool to get back into that. So. so for me, and this is for our listeners, and this is what the takeaway for me is, it, you don't have to be the expert when you first decide that you want to do this. Where it comes from is a passion for the practice and the and just seeing an opportunity and finding if there's an opportunity that you're excited about. Um, we, we had a similar experience with our SPCA in North Vancouver. We would look after the animals. We started talking to the vets. It was actually my owner who he was his daughter had a cat who was sick and the and the vet was saying I'll, I can do an antibiotic. And that's where it took off for us as well. And it's just so exciting and it's such a great opportunity. So for anyone who's listening, you, you've you got us as, to, to help back you up and you've got Deb Clark, who is absolutely whiz-bang awesome when it comes to the vet space, as well as if you have any other questions about compounding. She's a brilliant t- teammate and colleague. So I'm gonna turn it back over to Mike. I just wanna say thank you, Deb. You are, you're, you're such a value to our team and to the community at large. Thank you. Yeah, great comments to end the podcast. Deb, thank you so much for doing this. Um, We've obviously had a chance to record almost 20 episodes at this point, but never really had a chance to dive into the world of veterinary compounding, and I think this was a great way to do it, Um, not only based on your personal experience, but talking more about what we do as well, and, and you're part of the clinical services team. So thank you so much for doing this. You're welcome, guys. It's my pleasure. And uh, I know that you obviously speak for PCCA as well on occasion. And um, if you ever do see uh, Deb, if you see Deb on a schedule uh, of events, please don't hesitate to try to attend that event. Uh, I can assure you that you'll get even more ideas, not only to how to market your practice, but obviously how to treat these, uh, these pets as well. So thanks so much. For all of our listeners out there, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Uh, Just a quick reminder to please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or on Spotify so that you never miss an episode. And just another quick reminder to please follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to stay up to date with the most current information, all things related to PCCA. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. This is Mike Delisio.